Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long View, a podcast that takes a closer look at the games people play. This is a special episode that's being released in a generator-only powered Pennsylvania, uh, at least the eastern portion of Pennsylvania. Uh, My thoughts also want to go out to those living in all affected areas by the hurricane that just recently passed through earlier this week, especially in New York and New Jersey, Delaware, and Maryland, as well as my own neighbors here in Pennsylvania. Uh, CO2 is a board game that was designed by uh, Vital Lacerda, and it is his second board game. Uh, the first one was the very highly regarded Vinos, um, a very kind of uh, wonderful, dense game, a uh, highly complex and strategic game about winemaking in Portugal. This game, CO2, came to me through Stronghold Games, and it is important for me to note right off the bat that uh, I was a playtester for the game of CO2 and worked with Vital. I also worked with Stephen Bonacor of Stronghold Games and was in communication with him during the development of this game. And also with uh, Michelle over at the home Italian company, the original publisher of this game, which is geochicks.it. Um, so many thanks to all of them. However, it is important to note that I did have involvement in the development of this game, so uh, you need to know that right off the bat. Uh, That being said, though, I wanted to talk to you about CO2 and actually do a long view episode rather than a quick look because I've played this game many, many, many times now in its prototype form and now finally in its finished form. And with me today, I have Lloyd Keller, who is also a member of the playtest group that takes a look at uh, many of the games that come my way. But in particular, he took a look at CO2 when it first came with me as well. So Lloyd, welcome to you and thanks for joining me. Hi, Jeff. How are you today? Doing great. Doing great, other than the whole power thing. I'm very grateful and thankful I have a generator. Um, there are many people who don't have that, but I understand you actually got your power back this morning, yes? I got it back last night. Beautiful. So you are freshly showered, whereas I am not. So, yeah. yeah this is not good. That's why we're sitting at uh, different parts of the table, so that I don't offend poor Lloyd. <laughs> Um, Anyway, so CO2. This is a game uh, that is uh, very, very interesting. It is definitely what I would call a gamer's game. Would you agree, Lloyd? Yeah. I mean, just the the complexity of the the micro uh, managing that you have to do from turn to turn to plan out things in advance. It's not a light game by far, and it's definitely not a gateway game. This is something that you would probably need to have played several different versions of Euro board games to really understand the different levels of the rules. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, the, the game actually flows quite nicely once you understand it, but there are a lot of moving parts in this game. And for those who are familiar with Vital's earlier game, uh, Vinos will, will be no stranger to that. So uh, this is definitely a complex game. And let's try and get the theme out of the way. The theme of this game is, of course, global warming. Uh, CO2 is the title of the game, and basically what it's doing is the board is divided up into the different continental regions of the world, and these continental regions of the world have a demand for power, as is uh, natural. They need power, need electricity, um, so therefore they're going to get their power, and that's one of the things that I liked about this game. There's a constant pressure because people are not going to do without power. I mean, here I am sitting here recording this with a generator humming. Uh, Hopefully you don't hear that in the background. But I I have to have my power for my lights uh, in order to uh, uh, do fun things like record this podcast, but also for some cooking and other things as well. So people are going to get their power one way or another. In this game, 
models this by having a whole slew of fossil fuel plants that are going to supply each region with power at the end of every game uh, turn, or, uh, which is kind of uh, decade-based. So each turn is a decade. And the different types of power plants are there are coal plants, there are oil plants, and there are natural gas plants. And these types of power plants are going to provide the regions with power. And the goal of the game is to stop the use of these types of plants. Um, and the only way to do that is to replace them uh, by using green kind of energy or green power plants. So we have biomass plants, we have nuclear plants, we have recycling power plants, solar power plants, and then what's called forestation power plants. And the designer has an interesting note about forestation in that it's not necessarily a power source unto itself, but it is an essential part of uh, strategy to try to deal with uh, global carbon emissions. And so he included it in the game. Um, so these are the kind of green types of energies that you can build uh, in the different regions of the world in order to combat global warming. Now, understand, once a fossil fuel plant is built, it's there. There is a chance later in the game, and, and maybe we'll have a, a chance to explain that, uh, to replace some of those old fossil fuel power plants. But the, the bottom line is this. There are seven regions in the world. Each of those regions, at the end of every decade, is either going to be powered by a green plant, or it's going to be powered by a randomly drawn fossil fuel plant. There is no question that each region is going to get its power. It's just a question of which type of power is it going to get. And this is really at the heart of the game and the theme of the game. Because if you allow fossil fuel plants to continue to proliferate on the planet, the CO2 levels are going to continue to rise. And this is modeled by a black marker that works itself around a track on the outside of the board. And if the carbon emissions ever get to the point of 500 parts per million or higher, then everybody has lost the game. So this is another interesting dynamic because this is a game that is both competitive and cooperative in many ways. And this is part of my fascination with this game and why I wanted to share an episode of The Long View about it right away. In addition, um, talking about the theme, I think it's important to sort of get this out there. Uh, this game has received very, very mixed reviews. And uh, a lot of the reviews seem to be driven primarily... I'm not going to say all of them, but a lot of them seem to be driven by people's personal beliefs regarding carbon emissions and whether global warming is a real or invented thing. Now, you know, I don't know that I necessarily want to tackle that other than to say this. It is my understanding from my background in science going through schools here in the United States that we use fossil fuels. As fossil fuels are used, they emit either carbon monoxide or dioxide into the atmosphere of the Earth. Some of this can be scrubbed away by the fact that trees and green plants take in carbon dioxide during photosynthesis, and so they can scrub some of the carbon out of the atmosphere. However, any carbon that is not scrubbed now becomes part of the atmosphere of our planet, which is a closed system. Therefore, fossil fuels being burned does increase global carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide levels in the Earth's atmosphere. Since it is a closed system, any carbon that is not scrubbed by green plants or green algae is going to remain in the system. And as far as I remember from my basic 8th grade science class, 
any carbon in the atmosphere acts as an insulator and is going to keep heat energy in the atmosphere rather than allowing it to escape back out that heat energy rather uh, than allowing it to uh, escape the atmosphere of the planet. Therefore, it is my understanding, and people can feel free to post in the Longview forums if they wish, uh, because I am not a, a scientist, I am just an average person, but it is my understanding that this is a real thing. This is not made up. Uh, people can make arguments over how much of this is due to human activity and how much may be uh, sort of natural processes, but the fact remains is that global carbon levels are continuing to rise. It is basic science as I understand it. Now, to try to set all of the politics of this aside can be difficult for people. I've stated my beliefs, and until someone can convince me otherwise in a nice civil discourse, that's going to be my continued position. However, the trend that I've noticed is that this game has been either promoted uh, very highly and rated a 10, uh, perhaps by some, who love the theme and the attention that it is bringing to this problem, uh, if you agree with me that it's a problem. But it's also been rated very lowly uh, by people who feel that this is all hype and that this is not a problem and it's some sort of manufactured um, sort of crisis. I want to try to step away from both of those things as I discuss this game with Lloyd today. Whether you agree that, car uh, that, that uh, um, carbon levels are a problem or not, uh, whatever your political persuasion may be, is irrelevant to the gameplay. And if you can set all of that aside and look at the game, you'll find something very enjoyable, very intense, very complex, and a whole lot of fun to play. It is a quintessential gamer's game. So, now that we've gotten all that out of the way, let's talk about the game. The different regions of the world are going to need to be supplied with power. And the real tension in this game comes from this very simple fact. No matter how much you work together, would you say this is true, Lloyd? No matter how much you work together, just about every turn, you're going to get new fossil fuel plants coming out. Yes? Yeah, that was true. When I play tested this the first couple of times with Jeff uh, months ago, um, I believe I played a three-player game, and we actually played maybe it was a four- or five-player mm -hmm. yep. game. And even at the end of that first decade, there were at least two or three uh, fossil fuel plants that had to get put out. And that was partially because... As the playtesters, we didn't quite understand um, how to really cooperate and yet increase our own company's value at the same time. So we were kind of fighting amongst each other and, and doing little things to backstab one another instead of trying to work together to get some of these green plants out onto the board early. And as a result, I think we lost that first game we played in about two or three decades, yes. if I remember. Yeah. And part of that was because we did manage to pull a lot of those um, the coal factories, which put out the most uh, carbon output in the game at 40 uh, ppms, and that really just drove up that, that CO2 track very quickly in the game. Yeah, and this is one of the interesting parts of the game, and to me it's one of the, the, the best parts of the design, is that it is uh, the latest in a kind of series of games that I've seen coming out that are both cooperative and competitive at the same time. And so 
You, you are ultimately looking out for your own best interest. You are ultimately trying to score the most points that you can for yourself. Okay, This is kind of prestige for the company that you run that installs these power plants. However, at the same time, if you don't work together in some levels, um, you're never going to be able to succeed. And that's because the designer has made building a green power plant a three-step process. So let's talk about that process. The first thing you have to take a look at in this game is that each region wants its own different type of power sources, green energy sources, and that's randomly determined by a tile distribution on the main board. So for example, Asia may want forestation technology first, and then biomass uh, second, and then their third favorite would be recycling. But those are the only three that Asia wants, so you can't build a solar plant or even propose a solar project in Asia. That's not what they want. So the first step is you have to take a look at what the region wants, and then you have to propose a project. When you propose a project, you're going to place a tile that matches that type of power plant, that type of green energy plant, and you're going to put it in one of three fields on the board. One of the fields is either going to get you money, one field will get you technology resource cubes, which kind of represents your, your knowledge base, um, your, your sort of your technology uh, available to you to deploy. Let's put it that way, because knowledge is actually something separate. And then finally, there's one that will kind of recruit a scientist to come and work for your company. And these scientists are very important because during the course of the game, they're going to gain you knowledge and expertise in different types of green energy sources. So there's a different track on the board for each type of energy source. And your scientists are going to conduct research at these projects that you proposed or projects you've installed or at summits, more about that later, uh, in order to move you up this chart. The different tracks or charts that you need to move up on are vital because you can't even build a specific type of power plant until you have a minimum amount of knowledge and expertise in that type of energy. So this becomes another sort of driving force of the game. However, straight a little bit into sciences, let's get back to installing power plants. See, the designer made it a three-step process so that nothing can happen quickly in this game. So the first thing that can happen is you can propose a project. So let's say I propose a biomass uh, project in Asia because Asia wants biomass as their second favorite. I do that by placing a tile on the board. And I can then, if I choose to, and if I have a scientist available, move a scientist onto that location to immediately start kind of gaining knowledge in biomass technology. The second thing that has to happen is the project has to be installed, and you do this by flipping the tile. When you flip the tile, it's going to show you a benefit. So, for example, in biomass, the benefit is you're going to gain $3, a technology cube, and you're going to get a carbon emission permit. These carbon emission permits are very important in the game because they're going to get you victory points at the end, but they're also required in order to install a project itself. So by flipping the tile, you have to use a carbon permit. Some of these uh, types of technologies um, uh, will give you a carbon permit, but I think it's actually only one or two that actually do that. Uh, the rest of them, you're either going to get a monetary gain or a technology cube gain. Okay? So first step, propose a project. Second step, install a project. Once a project is installed, then you can actually build the power plant if you have the technical expertise to do it. Building the power plant is going to cost you technology resource cubes. That's those white cubes we talked about earlier. And it's going to cost you money, uh, which is very tight in this game and very difficult to come by. And then it's going to gain you a certain number of victory points. 
And this is really what drives the engine of the game. Now here's the twist. Nobody owns any of these things. So I can propose a project. I can then install the project. But then Lloyd might actually build the project on his turn and build the power plant, reaping the rewards of the first two steps that I completed for him. So this is where the sort of cooperative and the competitive comes in. Because you need to cooperate since it's a three-step process and you only have a certain number of turns each round or each decade. So you have to cooperate in order to get anything built in, a, in an efficient or timely manner. But at the same time, you also stand to lose out perhaps to a competitor who can swoop in at any point in the process and sort of take over the project or finish the project, gaining the victory points therefore for themselves. So this is, again, that sort of delicious tension of competition and cooperation. Um, you know, we found that this happens quite often, especially in a multiplayer game. Yes, Lloyd? Yeah, when Jeff and I played it just last night, it was a two-player game. And for the most part, I mean, it was Jeff proposing his own projects, installing his own projects, building his own factories. I was doing my own thing. But when we play tested, especially in groups of four or five... Um, and three. It, yeah. And, and, and even three. in three, yeah. it, you, you kind of make deals with each other. You know, look, I can install this here. You have enough money and enough cubes to build it on your next turn. So if I do this and you do this, that just created one power plant and thus helped us, at least for that turn, to not get one of those fossil fuel power plants out and potentially get more CO2 emissions and potentially lose the game. So there is, you know, that really great just um, cooperation going on. And you can always kind of go back on your word like Jeff did last night and <laughs> said, oh, yeah, don't worry. If you buy one of those for two bucks and I buy one for two bucks. Talk about the carbon emission yeah, permits. And, um, you yeah. know, then, then the next round, um, it's going to be three bucks. And so I bought one for two bucks. And on his turn, he's like, yeah, I don't think I want to do that right now. So there is still that, that competitive um, little thing where you can kind of. Backstab or interfere. Backstab yeah. and interfere uh, with one another, which does make it a lot of fun. Yes, it does. And, and it also opens up some, some other uh, interesting parts uh, of the game. You know, for example, if uh, Lloyd proposes a project in a region, say that biomass plant we're talking about in Asia, and elects not to put a scientist on that project, perhaps because his scientist is, is off somewhere else researching a different type of uh, green energy that he's very interested in, let's say nuclear in this example, I can actually place my scientist on my turn on the project tile that he placed and therefore start to sort of leech and gain information for my company uh, based on a tile that he had placed on his turn. Uh, this is also a, a, an interesting uh, dynamic in the game in that if my scientist is kind of parked on that project, if you want to do anything with that project, you basically have to then pay my scientist to leave. You have to give me a dollar, um, and then I can take my scientist back in my hand, or I can actually uh, go up one more sort of free knowledge point in the track that matches that particular green energy technology, in this case, biomass. So... You can use that to kind of block people because money is so tight in this game that actually a dollar can be huge. Um, you may not actually be able to complete a power plan all for the lack of having a dollar. And the only way to make money in this game is either by proposing projects, uh, which will gain you money. Uh, you can also sell some of your carbon emission permits in the market, which is depicted in the center of the board. 
uh, because there is this kind of global market for carbon emission permits. However, the problem is, is that if you sell one, the price immediately drops. So you get diminishing returns every time somebody sells one. Uh, if people are buying them, then the price goes up. And this is a really nice part of this design and that it very elegantly and simply uh, models supply and demand in the same way uh, that springs to my mind that uh, uh, Navigator does, uh, the Matt Gertz game with the market in that game with the supply and demand. Very elegant, simple system, but very powerful in the game. So uh, the, the whole goal of the game is to avoid catastrophe of hitting 500 parts per million. And you're going to do that by proposing projects, installing uh, projects, kind of think of it as like laying all the infrastructure. That's why you have to expend a carbon permit when you install a project. You're sort of laying the power lines and getting everything all set up, and then you actually build the plant last and bring it online, and then you, are, you, know, you have supplied that region with power, which gives you victory points or prestige for your company. So... This kind of process is going to continue to cycle until the end of the game, either when global warming reaches that critical level and everybody loses, or until the end, and then you're going to take a look at the carbon permits that people have in their hand, the amount of money they have in their hand, the amount of victory points or prestige points, if you want to call it that, that they have accumulated for their individual companies throughout the game, and then you're going to add in some bonuses. These bonuses come from two very important sources. In this game, you have uh, what are called uh, UN goal cards, and these are United Nations goals cards um, that are randomly distributed at the start of the game, and they're in a sort of a central display. And the goal cards are going to depict a certain number of different types of green energy sources. So I'm looking at one right now where the goal is it shows a solar symbol, it shows a recycling symbol, and a biomass uh, symbol. So uh, on my turn, uh, what I can do is if I have built, not just proposed or installed, if I have built personally a solar, a recycling, and a biomass a facility, I can claim that UN goal card as my one card action for the turn. And that goal card is going to give me five victory points. Uh, there are others that give you six or four. Or the, so there's a, a variety of different types of goal cards that you can claim. This is one crucial way to gain victory points. Another crucial way to gain victory points is at the very end of the game, um, any regions that you control, and control is another interesting one here, uh, Lloyd, and this is where you take a look at what kinds of energy the region wants. For example, as I said, Asia wants forestation, then they want biomass, and their third kind of choice would be recycling. If I build a biomass facility in Asia, I control Asia. If Lloyd goes behind me and builds a recycling, I still control Asia because they wanted biomass more than they wanted recycling. But if Lloyd comes in and builds a forestation uh, plant, that is of higher precedence than my biomass, and therefore Lloyd will control Asia. So why is control important? That's another really interesting part of this design, and it creates a tug of war and uh, almost sometimes a game of chicken. Uh, where people are trying to discourage other companies from coming into a region. I know I did that to you yesterday. Yeah, I, you I, I was building you know, plants and, and trying to make sure that I had a numerical superiority uh, because if you have more plants, uh, green energy plants, than another player, uh, you control the region as well. But uh, getting back to the, the issue of control, at the end of the game, um, if you control a region, whatever carbon emission permits are left in that region... Every region starts with some, and some can be added as the game goes on through different card effects. Um, those come into your hand, 
And those carbon emission permits will then be sold at the current market value um, at the end of the game. And this is then going to give you more victory points because money is equal to victory points. Um, you get, I think, one victory point, Lloyd, for every $2, yeah? Yep, one for every two. So this is very important. Also, if you control a region and you need a carbon emission permit, you can take it, instead of from your hands or your own kind of personal supply, you can take it from uh, a region that you control. And so, you know, there's a little bit of a, a risk-reward thing there as well, because by taking it from the region, I'm taking away some victory points for myself, possibly at the end of the game. But it saves me from having to maybe go to the market to buy one, which can be quite expensive. So, again, there's this really interesting tension between trying to lock up regions for your own company or take or steal control of a region right towards the end of the game and gain some um, carbon emission permits that might swing the game in your favor. So that's another very interesting kind of competitive part of this game that is built in with these carbon emission permits. Um, so I think at heart, what makes me most interested in this game, what struck me most about it as a playtester, was not the theme. Uh, I don't have a problem with the theme at all, as I've already discussed. Uh, Lloyd, I don't think you have a problem with the theme. Oh, no, not at all. Uh, you know, he doesn't have a problem with the theme. What, what intrigues me about the game isn't the theme. What intrigues me about the game are these interlocking mechanisms. You have a market. You have a sort of technology tree. You have different regions that want different types of things. You have the whole uh, carbon market that I just described. You have scientists and technology resources that you're trying to deploy. Um, you have UN goal cards you're trying to accomplish. And then each of you also gets a secret sort of mission card. Everybody gets one of these. These are your company goal cards, and these are kept secret. You get one at the start of the game. And they can be all different things. Uh, in other words, the one that I had yesterday um, was I get bonus victory points or prestige points for every UN goal card that I had achieved. Well, I had achieved a lot by the end of the game, so I got a lot of points from that. You had all but one. I only achieved one right. uh, yesterday in the game, so you had six. Right. You had five. I had five, yeah. Um, and then uh, Lloyd had one that was, uh, what was yours about, Lloyd? Mine was um, if I had at least one power plant that I had built one green energy plant um, in each continent with a maximum of five different continents, um, I would get a bonus uh, for each one of those. So I ended up having four different regions that I built in. So I got an additional 12 points just from that. Right. So that's another way to gain points. So from a gamer's perspective, this is a multi-layered game that requires a lot of long-term planning. It requires cooperation at times, and it requires cutthroat competitiveness at times. Um, sorry for the sound of my furnace kicking on um, there, but uh, what are you gonna do? Um, so th this is the part of the game that really intrigues me, is this balance between cooperation and competitiveness. And the, the, all of the other things that I mentioned, there's so much going on. Uh, there's one last piece of the game that I haven't talked about, and that's this sort of disaster uh, region of the board. There's an area of the board where you flip up a card every turn, and uh, this card is going to depict one of the regions of the world. You know, it could be Africa or Asia or, or you know, North America or what have you. And at the, uh, what's going to happen is that region is, is, is going to suffer some sort of disaster, almost like a hurricane that we just uh, uh, went through. And um, what's going to happen is if, let's say, the, the, there's a disaster in North America... If you have built a green power plant, either in the past or you just finished building it, 
in North America. Uh, your company has helped North America in its time of need, and therefore, uh, you know, you, you've done your job, you've helped out, uh, good for you. If, however, you are not supplying uh, green energy to that region that's going through a disaster, you then have to sacrifice one of your white technology resource cubes to help that region out of its current crisis. If you choose not to and sort of callously turn away from them and say, eh, not my problem, uh, your company suffers the loss of prestige. You're going to lose two prestige points or two victory points, depending on what you want to call them. Um, but at the same time, if you do sacrifice that cube, um, that, that's going to avoid that loss of prestige. And then that technology cube is actually going to then be assigned when you resolve the event at the start of the, of the next decade, is going to be assigned to that region. And that cube is going to be there as a grant from that region. So remember, you need these white cubes to install green power plants. So what's going to happen is if I then or, or Lloyd, you know, even a competitor, uh, the person who didn't even place the cube um, decides to go and uh, install a green power plant there. Remember, power plants require um, technology cubes. There's one that can be given from North America to the person installing that plant. And so it's kind of like a freebie that will be given as a grant to the person who's installing that, which I found to be a really interesting mechanism as well, very streamlined. Uh, you either help or you don't. Um, so it, it adds a little bit to the game and provides incentive for people to go to a region that is suffering crisis to go and help them out because they're gonna get some free resources when they go there. So I thought that modeled that very well. So. The game sort of, uh, to me, models a lot of dynamics very, very well in a very tense, very tight, exciting kind of a game. Uh, the last thing I haven't talked about are these lobby cards, and everybody is going to get these sort of uh, a hand of lobby cards. And there's actually a really neat version where you draft these lobby cards. Uh, you select one, and then you pass the, the, the rest off, and they go around the table until everybody has their hand of cards. And these lobby cards can be played as your card action for your turn, and they're going to give you some sort of a benefit. Um, you either can take a sort of minor benefit, which is listed at the bottom of the card, which could be like a money or a, a cube or a carbon permit or, or maybe a scientist or something like that, or you can fulfill the top portion of the card, which is a little more complex. I'm looking at one, for example, that says if I um, install a, a forestation plant in a region, I will gain two additional white technology cubes for installing that. So, you know, this, this is a nice advantage. Um, some of them are region specific. So it'll say like, if you finance a project in South America, um, which is that proposing a project, that first step, if you propose a project in South America, you will gain $3. Uh, in addition to whatever other money you may have received from proposing the project or in addition to the cubes that you may have received or the scientists you may receive. Because every time you propose a project, if you recall, you get a certain benefit as a grant from that region. So this is another way um, to kind of get some card synergies going and, and sort of uh, help kind of define a strategy for you or a path that you may want to follow based on this hand of cards that you get. Uh, I know I had some that worked extremely well together for me. So uh, this is this is a really uh, an, another really interesting mechanism in the game. So enough of me kind of blathering on about it. Uh, that's kind of a basic of how uh, the game flow and how the game is going to be played. What I'd like to do now is uh, open it up to you first, Lloyd, and and ask you 
What is it about this game that sort of grabs your attention? Because I remember the first time we played it, you were kind of lukewarm on it. I was, because the first time we played it, um, and this was before you had made suggestions for rule changes and some things. And other people had as and well. And other people yeah. had as well. But the first time we played it, it like I said earlier, it seemed like even though um, we were trying to work together, we hadn't quite figured out how to do that yet, but it seemed like once we decided to work together and actually try and get the green power plants out, we still lost. And my biggest complaint early on with the game was, well, if we decide to play nice and not be so competitive and actually work cooperatively, there should be a better chance for us to be able to win this game. And it really kind of seemed like we were just driving into a wall, and no matter what we did, we were still going to hit that wall. Now, some of the rule changes, uh, honestly, I don't remember what they were because it's been so long since that first time I play-tested. But yesterday, with Jeff and I, you know, I was a little nervous at first, thinking, well, if there's only two of us working this board, um, only two of us actually putting these green power plants out, are we going to be able to save the planet? And sure enough, I think by the end of the game, we had the uh, parts per million at like 410, and we had been able to drop it down in that last round of the game with like three different green power plants that all replaced some of the older fossil fuel ones, and we brought it down even lower. So we were almost to the point where um, along the track there's this little biohazard symbol to let you know that those disasters happen. I think we had it just before that biohazard symbol. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we were well enough away that the planet was definitely saved. We right. were... But but the turn before that. But the turn before that, we, we were one it. coal plant away from losing the game. Yeah, we were at uh, I think four sixty, and yep. we just if we had had one more coal plant, that would have hit five hundred right. for us, and we would have been done. Right. So you know, even though I, I agree with you, I think that the the refining of the game that's happened from all the different playtesters, and if you look in the rule book, there's a huge number of playtesters that Vital used, and of course his own ideas uh, for how to you know improve the game. Um, you know that this really. I think made it much uh, uh, much more possible to achieve the goal of you know not losing you know because that's one of the neat things about the game it's like you know if, if the if the carbon levels go above 500 everybody loses there there is no like well who lost the least <laughs> yeah. there's no it's like yeah you're done you know and 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 uh, so there's a real incentive and I think this is this maybe is, is what you're talking about Lloyd is. Uh, the game is complex. It takes a couple hours to play, hour and it a half does. to two hours. Yeah. And so if you're going to invest that amount of your time and then lose, uh, you want some of that to be in your control. You know, this is this yeah. is not a game that plays quickly. And if you lose, eh, you know, everybody lost, whatever, you know, uh, even Pandemic plays in like an hour or less. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's not a huge amount of time to invest. And if, if things just don't go your way, you're like, oh, wow, look at that. You know, I, I had no idea that, you know, that disease was going to spread that rampantly. I thought we had it under control. When you're investing this much time in a game, though, uh, I, I really do agree that you, you want to have a feeling that you have more control over whether or not everybody loses. I, I remember one of the playtest sessions we played, we played with uh, uh, some people at the local game store, and this one young man we were playing with, uh, he just was very intentionally doing everything he could to earn money for himself. Because right. once he heard that money is victory points, 
he just blocked everybody and yeah, he everything. Did. He took all of the finance spots on the proposal spaces for each continent and kind of locked them up so that he got money and no one else could get money. And we were all poor and scrounging and scraping. And then he'd plop his scientists on projects we were about to try to install to force us to pay him money. And, you know, he, he kind of... Um, was able to almost completely submarine the game. And I think we did actually lose. That was one that we lost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, it was kind of like, wow, you know. Now, on, on the one hand, I love the fact that one person being a complete jerk, and, and <laughs> you know, we were fine with it. He was just testing the limits of the game. Yeah. Um, can, can have that big of an impact, a negative impact. You know, but at the same time, it was a little frustrating, you know, that all of us are trying to work together, one person isn't, and we lost the game. So there's actually a little bit of an interesting, another layer of this game is the table dynamic that develops. As certain people start working together, others maybe not so much, the person who's out in the lead is kind of left on their own, while other people are working together to bring their scores up, maybe working some deals, okay, I'm going to build this plant because I'm further behind than you and that'll get me nine victory points and you can build this one which will get you six but then we'll kind of be together, are you okay with that? And so there's some table talk and negotiating that goes on in this game that I also find really fascinating. Um, Lloyd, after, you know, you played it a few more times, um, what were your impressions? What were some things that might have stuck out to you about this game? Uh, one of the things I liked initially from the design of the game is that there's so much going on on this board, and yet it is all very easy to read. Um, I've played games where the board is a complete mess, and... It's a little confusing at times to see what's happening where and to, to make sense of it all. And uh, I really like the design. That was actually the biggest thing that I think grabbed my attention, even with the, the playtest version, was just the design of the board and the way that you know the game looked. Because all the information you really need is right there. It's easy to see where the continents are and you know where the project spaces are linked to each continent where the power plants are and the CEPs connected with each continent. Um, I like the way that the, um, the kind of hierarchy of green energy that they want is right above the continent. And you can see it in the hierarchy order. Again, going back to what Jeff was saying with Asia, you know, we have the board set up right now and the token above Asia has defor uh, yeah, deforestation. <laughs> has, I was saying that all last that's night. That's the opposite. Yeah. yeah has <laughs> forestation at the top meaning that that's what Asia wants the most, and then the, um, the recycling at the bottom. Um, you know, the market is the center of the board, and it works very well. It's, it's simple, where the CEPs that are available are in the center of the market, and you have a token going around the outside of the market to indicate the price. Um, so nothing ever really feels cluttered about the board. Yeah, even though there's a lot of information. Even though there's a lot of information, yeah. it doesn't feel cluttered. It doesn't feel overwhelming when you look at the board because to just take 10 seconds and look and see what's happening halfway through the game at the board you can immediately see um, you know where you're going to want to put your next proposal or which um, project you might want to install or you can even clearly see which continents at the end of that turn or the end of that decade are going to be getting a fossil fuel plant and you might decide with the other players okay look Asia is going to be getting another fossil fuel plant in another two turns at the end of this decade. If we don't build something there now, we're going to lose 
um, time and we're going to end up getting more of that uh, CO2 emissions. Yeah, and it's an interesting, uh, you know, sort of dynamic also in that uh, the different regions or continents for, for, you know, right or wrong, uh, you know, probably based on population would be my guess, have differing amount of sort of spaces uh, that need to be filled either with fossil fuel plants or with green energy plants. Whereas, uh, you know, countries like, uh, I'm sorry, continents, not countries. Uh, I'm a teacher. I know that. Thank you very much. Uh, (laughs) Continents like Africa uh, and Oceania only have a limited number of spaces. Uh, South America has, you know, fewer spaces, for example, than North America. And North America has fewer spaces on it than Asia. And what this kind of means is, as the game goes, the board state... Um, starts to sort of narrow in focus because once those three spots, for example, in Africa have been filled, either with a green power plant or with all fossil fuel power plants, Africa's kind of done. Like you're you're not going to be adding any more fossil fuel plants to Africa. It has all the energy it needs uh, at this particular time. And therefore, you kind of don't have to worry about it. However, as Lloyd indicated earlier, one of the interesting parts of this game is you can still build a green power plant in a region that is filled. And if you do, you can actually replace the first fossil fuel plant. So like, let's say it's an oil plant, which is producing carbon emissions of 30 parts per million that's added to the global uh, level. If Even though Africa is totally filled, it's already you know emitted its carbon, it's not going to hurt you, quote unquote, anymore in the game. I can actually help things by going back into Africa, building a green power plant. Uh, Say they want a solar plant. I can build a solar plant in Africa, get rid of that oil plant, which actually will then move the global emissions marker backwards by 30 uh, or 40 if it's a coal plant or 20 if it's a natural gas plant. So you can actually combat uh, global emissions by lessening them uh, by going into a region that uh, that is already kind of done. Uh, And that's also one of the triggers for the end of the game. If two regions are ever completely filled with green power plants, the game ends there. And that's a really interesting mechanic that... Or, or, or idea that I haven't even fully explored yet. And all the times I played this game, which is at what point maybe if you feel you're ahead, do you start pushing to fill, say, Africa or South America, which only has three spaces, I'm sorry, four spaces. Um, at, at what point do you start pushing to try to fill those with green energy plants to try to speed the end of the game if you feel you're ahead? So there's just so many different layers and strategies uh, that are in this game that I feel that there's, there's just a lot to explore. I've played this game probably 12 to 15 times um, in playtesting and, uh, you know, now in its final form. And, uh, you know, I'm still discovering things like that that I can investigate. And this is one of the reasons why I think this is a great gamer's game. If you can manage to either... Uh, distance yourself from the theme if it's something you don't agree with or if you can embrace the theme if it's something that you do agree with Uh, regardless there is a very complex and interesting game here uh, that will reward repeated play and rewards experience for example Lloyd, you and I played yesterday. I've played this game more than you have. You've played it uh, probably more than than most uh, because it just got released Yeah. Um, and I, I, I trounced you pretty badly oh yeah and, and I think that that had nothing to do with anything other than experience. Uh, I was a little more familiar with the game and some of the workings and how to use those. Uh, you know, uh, fr- from the get-go, for example, I was looking at those UN goal cards. 
And the UN goal cards that are displayed at the start of the game, for example, I noticed that almost every single one of them had a biomass symbol on it. Yep. So the first thing I did was propose a biomass project and start researching biomass technology. And then the other regions, I didn't look at the world and see, okay, what's the top, which is what I think you did. Yeah, that's what I was doing a you, lot more. Lloyd was looking at each region and saying, okay, a lot of these regions want forestation as their top. So he started investing in forestation technology. Uh, there's a couple problems with that. First of all, you have to sort of gain more knowledge to build forestation plants than you do for biomass. Biomass is kind of like almost an instant. As soon as you do one research, boom, you're ready to go, ready to build. Uh, in forestation, you have to kind of have three levels of expertise before you can even construct a plant. Yeah. Added on to that is the difficulty of the fact that it takes an enormous amount of technology cubes. Biomass requires one. Forestation requires three. Uh, added to that is the expense. Uh, building a biomass plant will only cost you $9, whereas forestation plants will cost you 12 Now, forestation, Lloyd, got you more victory points at 10 Biomass only gets you 6 But... When we looked at those UN goal cards, you know, when I looked at it as the focus of my game, there was almost no forestation cards there at all. I didn't care about forestation. Right. Um, so, therefore, you were spending a lot of time and a lot of resources to build fewer plants. I was building more plants that matched those UN goal cards, which allowed me to then later as the game progressed start snatching those cards up, yeah. which scored me an enormous amount of victory points. So, you know, again, that's a, you, you can call that a little strategy tip. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, these UN goal cards, um, you know, are one of the layers of strategy that are, are in the game. And they're, they're randomized. There's many more UN goal cards than you will possibly need in any given game. So, therefore, the distribution is always going to be different. So, again, uh, as with a lot of games that I've covered on the show, there's that sort of theme of there's enough variety uh, in the setup there's variety in the interplay between uh, the players. Mm -hmm. There's variety that's going to come out different each time as far as what each region wants, as far as their hierarchy of needs and, and uh, what kinds of plants they want. Uh, the market is going to play out differently every single time. So there's so many different layers of variability here that I really don't anticipate this game becoming stale. Uh, therefore, I think it's probably the best gamers game that I personally have seen or played since Dominant Species, which which I kind of feel is another game that just has an almost infinite amount of replayability uh, due to player interaction and variability in setup, um, you know, as the game unfolds with the different kind of domination cards, etc. But that's a whole other topic for a whole other episode. Lloyd, is there anything else that you wanted to share about this game? Maybe something that you don't like? Or maybe something that you think could still be improved? Or, you know, perhaps something else that you want to draw people's attention to before we uh, finish this up and post this? Um, not that I can really think of. I mean, uh, it's been so long since those initial plays, and then we played it again last night, so it would right. be fresh in my head. Um you know, what minor rule changes may have occurred. I think the game plays very well now. Um, I didn't have any problems, other than the fact that I lost to Jeff, um, <laughs> with understanding the rules. You know, uh, there were a couple times um, where I had a turn or two or three planned out, and then by the time Jeff finished his turn and it was my turn, I was like, oh my goodness, what was I going to do first? Because, like Jeff said, some of these things that you're trying to do take two or three steps. 
And there were a couple times where I played something and I went, oh, wait, I don't have the money yet. Or, oh, wait, I don't have the cubes yet. Let me back that turn up. And I wanted to do this instead. But, again, that's, again, just the familiarity of the game. Right. Um, and I'm not as familiar with it, but I still enjoyed it. Um, it's a very cool-looking game. I love the new artwork for it. And I even commented last night that, you know, the CEP markers, they used to be black, and now they're this nice, like, royal purple. Right. And I don't know why, but for me, that kind of makes the whole board seem to pop a little bit. So from a visual standpoint, I think this is one of the most unique-looking games out there right now, that it's not just a bunch of cubes getting pushed out there, but that you've got these different regions and each type of resource, or I'm sorry, each type of um, green plant has a different color. And you can eventually see as the game goes, you can even just look at the board and kind of see what's been going on. Yeah, it, it, the board state is actually very easy to read. I agree with you. And, and, as, and, and as much as I liked the black discs for the carbon emission permits, because, you know, I, I think of, you know, black and soot and uh, things like that when I think of carbon... Um, because black is one of the player colors, because uh, the marker that tracks CO2 is black, uh, all that black on the board, I feel, was, was at times kind of a little difficult to read. Uh, it's much easier to count the number of uh, discs when they're this purple color instead of the black. Um, and, and they are different so that, you know, even though they don't sort of match uh, my kind of mindset of what, you know, these, this carbon should look like, it's much more functional. Uh, than it was with the black one. So, um, well, you know, at this point, I think we're, we're pretty much done uh, talking about this. Uh, CO2 is a game that I would highly recommend. It is tactical and strategic. It is cooperative. It is competitive. It is engaging. It has a huge amount of variety. There's a lot of player interaction. And it just has so many different layers to it that I think it's a game that will be uh, very... Uh, uh, I have a lot of staying power. And so this is why I'm already doing a long view. Number one, because I've played it so many times as playtesting and development has gone on. But also because I wanted to get the word out there about this game because it has been a little polarizing for reasons we've already discussed. And I would love it if people could, despite whatever their beliefs are, whether they match mine or are completely opposite of mine, makes no difference. The game design itself is worthy of attention. The gameplay itself is uh, incredibly engaging and tense and fun. And I would encourage anyone to take a look at CO2. So without any further ado, I want to thank 2d6.org for their continuing uh, hosting and support of the Longview Podcast. Uh, I also want to thank www.gamesurplus.com for their sponsorship of the Longview and encourage you to go and check them out for all of your board gaming needs. CO2 should be released uh, to the public very soon and you should be able to order it from Thor there at gamesurplus.com. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please leave them either on the Board Game Geek Guild. And also want to send out special thanks to the Dice Tower Network, um, because the Longview is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. So for Lloyd Keller and myself, I want to say thanks to everyone and have a good night.